On today's episode of BCT Sports, we welcome onto the program voice of the Atlanta Hawks, Steve Holman. He's called a consecutive 2,648 games for the Atlanta Hawks. We go into his career in broadcasting and sports as a whole. We get into some great topics on the NBA and what makes a great broadcaster. Be sure to listen here. Buckle up. Let's go. Joining us on the program now is the voice of the Atlanta Hawks, Georgia Radio Hall of Famer, Atlanta Sports Hall of Famer, and four-time Georgia Sportscaster of the Year, hailing from Lawrence, Mass., Steve Holman. He joins us today with this special BCT Sports interview brought to you by the Quick Takes Podcast Network. Steve, thank you for joining us, and big shout-out and thank you to Lynn for introducing us. Hey, thank you. It's good to be here with you guys. So just to jump right into it, uh, Cole mentioned in the introduction that you uh, grew up in Lawrence, Mass. And you, uh, we also, through looking around, noticed that you worked at WCCM uh, back in the day. Uh, did you grow up a Boston sports fan? And um, did working there kind of make your goal to be like the voice of the Celtics back in well, the day? Uh, you know, I, yes, I, I, mean, I grew up in Lawrence. So, of course, I was a, you know, a, a Boston sports fan, uh, you know, from birth. So, and from the time I was about eight is when I decided that I would like to be Johnny Most. Uh, the old Celtics announcer, because that was the first time that I had heard him. Uh, I was in my dad's car and uh, there was Johnny Most, you know, and I was like, dude, this guy's pretty, pretty interesting. So uh, (laughs) at that point, I decided I wanted to get into radio somehow, Uh, you know, so I was able to, uh, Kirk County's radio station was right down the street from Lawrence High School. So I was able to go in there and practice after school days. And uh, eventually they put me on weekends and then, uh, you know, one thing led to another, and they hired me full-time between my junior and senior year of high school. Uh, Kurt Gowdy had called me in, and uh, they said they were going to pay me 110 a week and all the records I could steal. So uh, that was <laughs> 1971, and uh, the first thing I did after that was when the Celtics season started, I got a pass to go to the games. Uh, so I would go, and uh, eventually I, you know, met Johnny. I worked up the courage to go uh, introduce myself to him, and uh, that led to me keeping score for him eventually. And uh, I would get his cigarettes and his coffee. And, uh, you know, one thing led to another and that too. And, and one night in 1976, uh, early in the season, he lost his voice. And, uh, of course, there were no analysts back then. It was just Johnny, me, and uh, an engineer. And he had a stick bike and he handed it to me. And he said, now Steve's got to do the rest of the game. So <laughs> there it was. That was my first uh, broadcast of, of an NBA game in 1976. I was 22. So, continuing with Johnny Most here, did you see him do like anything that was completely out of the ordinary that you've never seen another broadcaster do? <laughs> Everything was out of the ordinary with <laughs> with John. Uh, he, he was terrific to me. I mean, he really helped me a lot. I mean, he, you know, he was the ultimate, uh, like we like to say, Homer. Uh, you know, he taught me how to do that because when he first started doing games, there weren't many on television, and uh, Really, the radio was a, was a, uh, an outlet to sell tickets is, is how it worked out. So he would present it as the good guys against the bad guys. As he always told me, it was like a, a cowboy western. You know, the good guys wore the white hats. The bad guys wore the black hats. And uh, we were always the white hats and the bad guys were the black hats. And uh, so he would, you know, make things sound a little bit more uh, exaggerated than they actually were because in radio with no TV, uh, you can 
you can make it sound like the you know one of our players is getting killed out there and bugged and uh, all the things that he used to say so uh, you know I took a lot of that with me into my broadcast now and uh, you know I just thank him every day about uh, you know teaching me how to do it. Mm, that's for sure and I think one of the most legendary moments of his career just from me listening back to him was when he would, used to do the Celtics versus Bad Boy Pistons and just how right. animated he used to get. That was always fantastic. Oh yeah, that was good. And uh, with the, uh, when the old Washington bullets too, he would have uh, Jeff Ruland and uh, mm -hmm. Rick Mahorn. He called them McFilthy and McNasty. And uh, <laughs> you know, he, he had that, uh, he had that going for him too. And that of course was before Mahorn became one of the, the Detroit bad boys. So uh, it goes way back to that. Awesome. So, uh, Mr. Holman, the Celtics were your original love and you started there your career, but what brought you to Atlanta? Uh, well, one thing led to another as far as the uh, filling in for Johnny, because uh, there was a guy named there, Mike Wheeler, who was uh, the program director at WEEI, the old WEEI, which was the CBS uh, O&O station. We were on the 44th floor of the Prudential building. So uh, Mike hired me to go uh, start a show there called Sports Final. And it was on every night. Uh, I worked Wednesday through Sunday night, 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. And it was before ESPN had started. Uh, so all of the uh, reporters from around the country would come on that show, especially the West Coast. They'd give us updates on their games. And we had basically every bookie in New England was listening to it because there was no, there was no Internet, obviously. There was no way to get scores anywhere other than on that show that night. So anybody wanted to know what was happening on the West Coast, they had to get the reports from, on our show. So it was, it, it was really you know heavily listened to, and it was uh, we had horse racing results. We had, uh, we had the call of the feature race every night from Suffolk Downs and Rockingham Park, and uh, it was all kinds of different things in there, plus interviews that we did. So uh, it was kind of a, a groundbreaking show. And then, uh, then uh, Mike came to Atlanta uh, in 1980 to start uh, the all news radio station here called WGST. And he called me that summer and said, uh, do you want to come to Atlanta? And, uh, you know, I said, well, I don't know. I've never been to Atlanta. And he said, well, uh, we'll give you a couple of tickets to fly and see it. Uh, or we'll give you $800 to move. So uh, we had a nine-month-old. So I took the $800 and, uh, you know, moved to Atlanta. And uh, I started doing Falcons uh, pregame, halftime, and postgame. And uh, then eventually in 85, 86, I started to do Hawks games. And, uh, you know, I've done them ever since. And uh, now I just, you know, work exclusively for the team. So what, no matter what radio station we're on over the years, and we've been on several, uh, you know, I just go to wherever and, and I'm, a, I'm a Hawks employee. That's awesome. That uh, that first show you were on, that was essentially revolutionary for the sports industry. But um, something else impressive is your 2,648 games consecutively called for the Hawks. So um, how do you prepare for a broadcast of a game? Well, I was hoping right now when we, as we speak, it would be, you know, 2,663, which would have been the end of the regular season, but uh, we got stuck on the 48. I hope we'll get back for, you know, at least some of those final 15 games uh, sometime this summer, probably, uh, and, you know, play out at least part of the season. Uh, but, but anyway, the, the, uh, when, you, when you prepare for, for NBA games, it's a little bit different because we have so many and there are so many back-to-backs and uh, you know, 82 games is a lot. So you kind of get into a routine. Uh, I have a scorecard that I keep by hand that I've always done the same one that I've used when I kept score for Johnny. Uh, but of course we have all the, you know, courtside, it's called the NBA courtside we have available to us now. And we have, 
you know, all the NBA computers and, and the stats that are there. But I still like to use the old, you know, write, write everything down method. I do that in the mornings, either at shoot around when we're on the road or, or at home here. Uh, you know, I get all my stats and put them together. It probably takes an hour or so. Uh, but you see so many of these teams so often that you kind of, you know, you're kind of used to seeing them. Uh, mm-hmm. Over the course of the year, we play four times against the Eastern Conference. We play twice against everybody else. So, uh, you know, in between watching games and, and just knowing everybody that it's, it's, it's you get into a routine. So uh, I just try to stay ahead of it. You know, how they say time management. Uh, I try to do that. I do a lot of the work on the plane uh, when we're flying from one city to the other. Uh, I try to get a, a jump on all of it so I won't have to. Uh, I try not to have any have to do anything when we get to the game. On the road, we'll have a bus at you know five o'clock or whatever to go to the game. I usually get there around five here in Atlanta. Uh, but when you get to a game, there's always so much happening, and people want to talk to you and see you and everything. So I like to have everything done. I go and put all my stuff down at the table, and you know get everything ready to go. And then you know I'll I'll be set to go when the game starts at uh, you know seven ten or seven forty. Great. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff behind the scenes that some people don't know about. And that's what makes your craft really so impressive. Do you think that you could ever reach Hearns' goal of uh, 3,338 games in a well, row? Is that something you want? Yes. I mean, it's a, it's, that's, that's kind of big for me, uh, you know, right now. I, I'm currently 66, so uh, Chick was 86 when he finished doing games, and the only thing that stopped him was he died, <laughs> you know, so that was the end of his streak. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm in pretty good shape. I work out every day. I, uh, I, I think I'm in, in better shape now than I was probably 20 years ago. So, uh, uh, you know, I, I only have to go about nine more years, nine more seasons, you know, barring any more pandemics or catastrophes or <laughs> anything else. So I count regular season and playoff games. So, you know, hopefully we're on the upswing to get back into the playoff action, add a few more games uh, every year. And it, it to, but in a nutshell, yes, I, I I want to do it, and yes, I think I can do it, and uh, you know, God willing, they'll let me keep doing the games, and because uh, we have a lot of guys in the NBA that are, have done it a long time. Uh, Al McCoy, who does the Suns, is 86. Uh, uh, Gary Gerald does the Sacramento Kings, is 80 this year. Uh, George Blaha does the Pistons; he's in his upper 70s, and you know, on and on it goes. And uh, you know, I'm by. I'm not close to being the oldest right now in the NBA. So, uh, you know, I want to keep doing it. It's one of these jobs that there are only 30 of them, uh, 30 radio jobs uh, in the entire world that do NBA basketball. So people are very reluctant to give it up. Uh, You know, you kind of have to go kicking and screaming from it. And uh, as my boss always says, they'll have to peel my uh, frozen hands away from the microphone, uh, you know, when I keel over someday and uh, that'll be the end of it. You're definitely leaving a great legacy behind for the the Hawks, but uh, I want to switch to a question about ESPN. They recently named Hudson, Hagen, Pettit, Horford, and Wilkins as the best all-time Hawks lineup. Uh, Do you think that's the right lineup? Would you want to add anyone like Matumbo, Maravich, or Johnson? Like, what's your opinion? Well, I mean, you know, Bob Pettit, uh, you know, obviously has to be right there. I mean, he he never played in Atlanta. He was on the the St. Louis Hawks, the the team that – uh, that won the championship in, in 58. So, you know, he has to be there. I agree with Lou Hudson. Lou Hudson's one of our retired numbers. Uh, and of course, you know, Dominique is the greatest Atlanta Hawk of all time. So uh, when he retired, he was seventh in the NBA in, in scoring and 
so he has to be there. And, I, and you know, Cliff Hagen, a little bit before my time, but I, I kind of agree that, that, you know, he probably has to be there. So uh, if you if you narrowed it down to Atlanta Hawks only from 1968 on, uh, I would put Pete in there definitely as uh, because he revolutionized basketball and he really saved basketball in Atlanta when he came, that the franchise was kind of teetering on the edge. It was brand new. And when he got drafted, you know, in the early seventies, he really, he, he saved, he saved basketball in this town. And a lot of people that are now, you know, grown adults with their own children grew up with Pete Maravich and that's how they became basketball fans. So yes, Pete, definitely. Um, you know, I would certainly consider doc rivers too, because doc uh, was here for nine years and he, he's still uh, are the Hawks all time assist leader. Uh, so, you know, sometimes he gets overlooked on all of that because um, he was part of that that great team in the 80s that, you know, had the famous series, the Dominique Larry Bird mm-hmm. series in 88, the seven game series. So, uh, you, know, you know, we've had a lot of, you know, very and, De, and Dikembe, uh, of course, you know, terrific. I mean, he's got his number retired two or three different places, including including here. But he only played here four and a half seasons. So, you know, you could consider him. He, he did a lot. And uh you know, I, I would give him consideration, but I think the five that they picked for all time is good. And if you narrowed it down to the Atlanta Hawks, the so-called Mount Rushmore, the, you know, you'd have to put Pete in there. Uh, Pete, by the way, was when I was the PA announcer in Boston, my final year was Larry Bird's rookie year. So I was the PA announcer that year, the year before. But uh, in the, uh, the 79-80 season, when Larry came in, Pete Maravich was on that team. Mm. So... Uh, you know, I had never known Pete before that, but I, you know, I got to know him by being on that team in 79, 80. And, you know, little did I know that I'd end up in Atlanta myself uh, eventually, you know, and, and I emceed, you know, uh, his uh, number retirement ceremony after he passed away. They had his family here. His wife was here and his kids. And uh, so it was kind of special that, you know, I had a little connection with him in Boston and then to be able to uh, to emcee that whole thing here in Atlanta when we retired, that uh, number 44 was uh, was terrific. Do you see any comparisons between Pete and Trey Young? I mean, not necessarily in play style, but just in the fact that yeah. they've kind of completely changed how the team played. I mean, you look oh, definitely. at definitely. Yeah, I think that Trey's got a lot of Pete in him. I mean, that's for sure. I mean, uh, you know, Pete revolutionized everything uh, as far as, uh, you know, the passes and everything else he did. And you go back to Bob Cousy before that, uh, you know, way before you guys, but Bob Cousy was something. I mean, the Houdini of the hardwood. I mean, they called him back in those days. Uh, so he he was a, a revolutionary. So was uh, Pete, of course. And now Trey, uh, Trey has got a lot of that in him. And uh, you know, he's a he's he's a winner. Uh, I think we're on the cusp of, of doing something really special here with this team. We have the, you know five really solid young guys that are 22 and under, uh, I call it the, the, the core five. And, uh, you know, we've got salary cap money, I think the most in the NBA this summer, um, to add some veterans to this and, uh, and another, another top draft pick either to keep or trade. And so I think we're really close and, and our, our owner, Tony wrestler, who came in five years ago, you know, he saw that this was a team that had made the playoffs 10 straight years, but he didn't want to just make the playoffs for 10 straight years. He wanted to, to, to build it back to the point where they could be contenders. And and I think, you know, we're on that right now. And then Travis Schlenk came here from Golden State to be our general manager. So I think things are in place now to, to make this team a contender uh, sooner, sooner rather than later, let's say. Do you think this, this uh, as you mentioned it, like the young core five is the group that can kind of break the Eastern Conference final threshold and get them up into the finals? Because they haven't been there in 
over 50 years now. Right. I think, right. right? Well, yeah. I mean, you know, that team, the team five years ago, we, in fact, we did a couple of uh, zoom casts uh, with people about that team that won 60 games. Uh, you know, that team was, was a little bit different, made the Eastern conference finals, uh, ended up getting swept because of injuries and, and a lot of different things that happened. Uh, you know, Della Vadova broke Kyle Corver's leg in that series and uh, Al Horford got, thrown out of one of the games and then, you know, early in that series, but, but that team won 60 games. They, they set the NBA record for 19 consecutive. They had an undefeated January. So that was a lot of fun with different team though, because it was all veterans and it was, you know, guys that had been around the block and, and, and knew how to do all that. Tavo Cephalosha was part of that team and he was terrific. And, you know, if he hadn't had his leg broken by the New York city police, you know, uh, I think we might've had a chance in that series because he was very good against, LeBron and shutting him down defensively but but this team is is different it's younger um you, you know and, and you've got uh John Collins and Trey are, are are a terrific duo and I think for for many years to come they're going to be you know one of the one of the top duos in in NBA and uh I think you know they're going to start getting the recognition pretty soon that I think they deserve yeah so changing gears a bit here I want to talk about the Atlanta Olympics I know that you called a few events there was there any difference in like your preparation or like the scale of the event that happened there well it was it, it was different but it was still you know the basketball was still basketball you know and 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 at that time i i did several of the men's games uh i also did the women's championship game the gold medal game which was kind of a, a kick to do uh but Back in 96, I mean, you know, the NBA guys that were still on that team, uh, everybody knew. And, and a lot of the foreign players were NBA players, too. So they were pretty familiar. The, the women's team uh, featured some of the Georgia players, uh, you know, that were here. Uh, so I kind of knew a little bit about them. But the other teams, you know, you just have to kind of study and uh, hope that you get the names right. And, uh, but, but at the end of the day, as we like to say, it was, it's still basketball. It's still a basketball game. And I was able to do that, and it was a kick to record to to do the uh, gold medal game for the women. Uh, I did the U.S. men against Lithuania, which was one of the semifinal games, which was a lot of fun to do too. And I also did. I ended up doing boxing for the first time in my life, and the only time in my life that I've called boxing on the radio. Uh, the gold, the only gold medal we won in '96. I called that uh, that that match, uh, I wasn't scheduled to do boxing, but, uh, Larry Michael, who went on to, he's, he's now the voice of the Redskins and, uh, he, he went on to run mutual radio for a while. Uh, Larry was doing boxing. He got called back to Washington. So they called me over at the, uh, uh well, it was the Georgia convention center, but the, it was called the world broadcast headquarters at that time, uh, where we were doing like sports reports and things. And they said, uh, go over to Georgia tech and, and do the basketball, uh, do the, uh, the uh, boxing. And I said, well, I've never done boxing. And they said, ah, don't worry about it. It's, you know, it's basketball with gloves on. So, uh, you know, I went over there and did the a couple of those matches. John Saraceno, the, uh, the great USA Today uh, boxing writer uh, was, was the, the analyst on that. So he helped me a lot and we got through it and uh, lo and behold, they won a, they won a gold medal. It was the only gold medal they won in boxing that year. Now, would you call that some of the most memorable games that you've broadcasted, or is there a specific event that comes to mind when I say this? Well, it, it, it was different. I mean, it was a you know, it was a, a worldwide event, certainly. So it was you know, it was very, it was very big to do it. You know, I put it up there, uh, you know, with a lot of the other things I've done. Uh, but but some of these NBA games that I've done over the years have been 
uh, you know, really special too. The, the the famous Dominique Larry game seven was was a lot of fun. The, the game, all of the games in that series actually were pretty good in that year. And you know, when Dominique set the all time Hawks scoring record when he passed Bob Pettit, I was able to call that. And you know, a lot of other uh, things that that we made it back from the playoff, not being in the playoffs for nine years, two thousand eight. Uh, Al Horford was a rookie and Zaza was on that team. It was the famous uh, Zaza uh, series where he, he got into the fights with Garnett. And, uh, you know, and we had Rocky videos here and the, the, the town was just going crazy. So uh, those those were a lot of fun. And now this, like I say, with Trey and these young guys that are here now, it's a whole different vibe right now. And I think that the city really has fallen in love with Trey and this team. And, you know, I think they're really looking forward to getting us back on the basketball floor again. And hopefully by when we start next season, uh, which will probably be around Christmas time from everything they're talking about. uh, I think that, uh, you know, if we can have fans in the stands again, it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. So going off of that, what is your favorite venue to broadcast at? Well, that's a, that's a good one. I I, I like the ones that were still on the floor, you know, Chicago uh, United center, it was kind of fun too in the old building there too. It was not exactly a you know a great place, the uh, old Chicago Stadium, but that was fun. The old Garden, the old Boston Garden, was terrific because we broadcast from the the first balcony uh, in that little hangover. Well, that was the the greatest spot to to broadcast from uh, back in those days. You know, everybody was pretty much on the floor back then. Still, uh, Cleveland is great because Joe Tate, the famous uh, radio announcer, uh, he made the decision that he didn't want to sit on the floor when they built their new building in Cleveland. So he got us into the front row of the first balcony, which is, you know, again, a terrific seat, which we can't get now because, you know, all of the, the teams sell those seats for a lot of money and all of the, the courtside seats that we used to sit at, like in Atlanta, our four seats now go for, you know, 12000 uh, $1,200 a ticket. So you multiply that times four and times 41 and, you can see why they have us upstairs now in, in a lot of places. So, uh, Where's the worst those, those, well, um, the worst is probably Boston right now the, <laughs> where they have us on the side. Uh, we're in the, where the Celtics come out from the tunnel. We're in that corner of the, of the arena. So yeah, Grandy, whenever Grandy's broadcasting for the radio, he always says the Celtics are the worst ones there. Right yeah, it is. The it's Global the worst location. And you know, I can thank Grandy for that sometimes too, because he, you know, he complained too much, I think, and they put him in the corner. So uh, <laughs> I tell him that all the time too, he, he and Max. So, um, but it, that's probably the worst right now, just because you can't see uh, everything on the floor. There's a, there's a spot in the corner that you're shielded by the basket. So I remember Joe Tate, when he first broadcast from there before he retired, he, he famously said, and, and there's a three point shot from the corner by an unnamed player. Uh, so, uh, an unidentified player. So that, that's how you have to deal with that there. And some of them are very high. Denver's not so good. It's way, way up in the, in the air, but at least it's in the middle. And, uh, you know, I, I live with them all though, because, uh, it's economics of it all. We're never going to be on the floor again, most places. Some are better than others. We have a re- we have a terrific location in Atlanta too, with the new, uh, renovations they did at the state farm arena when they converted it from, from the old arena to this one, uh, we have a great broadcast spot. And, and luckily they, they consulted with me and, you know, the other broadcasters about what we would need and what we would want there. So it's a, it's a very good location. I'd rather be on the floor always, of course, mm-hmm. uh, because you get the feel of the game a lot better, but you know, we have the uh, effects mics, so we hear everything. And it's the, 
if you're listening to the game, you think we're on the floor because you hear all the squeaking uh, sneakers and, and everything else. And occasionally something somebody will say that they probably shouldn't say gets on those microphones. So, but like I did, like I say, it is what it is. And, you know, we, we, we're not, we're not going to be able to fight that anymore because of the economics of it. So you had mentioned a little bit earlier on that there's only 30 jobs in basketball and it's a very prestigious opportunity to get a chance to call NBA games. But I mean, all of us here at BCT do Bryant sports broadcasting. And there's a lot of people that are involved with our station and other stations that are a little bit smaller that do broadcasting for other um, smaller scale events. What advice if you were to give any to a young broadcaster would it be like, what do you think is most important to kind of work on your craft and well, also advance? I, I always say do as many games as you can. And, uh, you know, when I speak to, to high school kids, college kids, uh, you know, I always say, you know, grab the tape recorder, turn down the sound on the TV, do the game, uh, just like you were doing it as a real broadcast. And uh, because it's not as easy as it looks sometimes to fill that time. And, and just go ahead and do the whole game like you were doing it, uh, you know, without stopping and starting. And uh, the more you can do, the better. And, and I always recommend to go to a, a small station somewhere and try to learn not only how to do play by play, but do everything. You know, one of the great things that I did was I did news. I did, I played records. I did a little bit of everything uh, at that uh, radio station, WCCM. So the more you can learn, the more jobs that you can do, uh, the better off you are because uh, if an opportunity comes up somewhere at a station, it may not be exactly what you want. It might not be the play-by-play job right away that you want, but if there's an opening somewhere, you get your foot in the door and uh, once you're in that radio station, then things can happen for you. So I always say, go to a small station, try to find, you know, don't worry about the money because you're not going to make any money uh, to start out with. So, uh, you know, just try to do as many things as possible. And, and also I try to, uh, this is, sounds a little weird, but one of the things I always say is try to learn, learn how to type like with all your fingers, uh, you know, like ASDF, semi-LKJ, you know, learn real typing because uh, if you're in a situation where there's a, you know, like breaking news or something, if, if you can get on that keyboard and start to, to pound away at it, you're going to be ahead of everybody else. They're just trying to do it with their thumbs and their fingers and, you know, everything else. So that's one of the things I always, especially high school kids, I tell them try to take a typing course to, to actually learn how, how to do that and be on time. Uh, you know, they always say if, if you're on time, uh, you know, you're late, which is true. Uh, I always say if you've got a, a job interview at nine o'clock somewhere, uh, make sure you're there at eight thirty, or, you know, because the person who's going to interview you is probably going to walk in at quarter and nine and they'll run into you in the lobby of the, you know, wherever it is you're, you're trying out for whatever job it is. And that, that means something because the, the worst thing to do is show up at 10 minutes after nine and say, Oh, there was traffic and I got stuck in that. Uh, you know, people don't want to hear bosses don't want to hear that. So, mm. uh, you know, I, I always try to be way early to everything that I do every game. Uh, you know, I leave here a lot earlier than I need to probably, but, uh, you never know with traffic and everything else. And I would rather be settled and get everything into position and, uh, and sit there for a couple hours and, you know, uh, BS with people and everything, but uh, then have to run in at the last minute and, and, and have that happen. All right. This is the final question here, Steve. Um, do you see the NBA coming back this season or finishing up the season, I should say, and do you view Disney as a viable option? 
Yeah, I, I'm both. I, I think, I mean, it's starting to look more and more like we will. I mean, uh, I think people are a lot more confident now. They're talking about June 1st with the teams coming back and a 14 day quarantine. And then after that start, uh, you know, a mini training camp. And I think we're looking at mid July, July 15th or so to, to play some games. I don't know if we'll play all 15 that we have remaining, but I think everybody's going to play five or six games and then they'll start the full playoffs. And uh, yes, I think it will be at Disney. Uh, they have the facilities there at that wide world of sports. And, uh, you know, I, I think the broadcasters, TV and radio will probably be in a studio somewhere, uh, you know, broadcasting those games for now. And then, like I say, hopefully uh, when the season starts again, probably Christmas, which is always a big NBA day anyway, uh, and if they go Christmas through July, they're going to get away from football ratings. And I think they're going to find it's going to be a big hit. So it could become the new normal after next season, the, the December Christmas time through July. So, uh, yes, I do think we're coming back. And, yes, I think we'll have a full season next year. And I think people will be in the stands. And, uh, you know, hopefully all of this will be behind us. All right. Well, that's Steve Holman on this special BCT Sports interview. We thank you, Steve, for joining the broadcast. It's been a wonderful time. Okay, fellas, thank you. I, I appreciate it. You guys did a great job. And also shout out to Lynn again, who I worked for in my internship last summer for helping setting this all up. She's been really yes. very helpful. My uh, young niece, yes. All right. Well, thanks again, Steve. It's been a pleasure. All right. All right, okay, Cole. Thank you. Thus concludes our interview with the legendary Steve Holman, the voice of the Atlanta Hawks. For more BCT Sports content, make sure to follow us on Spotify and also Follow us on Instagram. We'll be coming up with more content shortly. Tomorrow we got the hoop scoop, so be sure to stay tuned.